Isaiah chapter 40. Already, you're there? Notes are in the app as well. Verse 28. Have you not known, and have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Someone say amen. He doesn't get tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You can be seated this morning. May God bless the reading of his word. This December, while we are looking forward to the Christmas holidays and and all, and along these lines, thinking about what's coming up with Christmas, uh, I'm preaching this series called Waiting on God. Because, you know, Christmas is... The month of December is a lot about waiting. It's about waiting for Christmas to get here. It's about waiting for Santa to get here. It's about waiting to open up the presents, all that kind of stuff. And we're in this season leading up to Christmas called Advent, the four weeks before Christmas. And Advent is also all about waiting. It's about remembering the world and, and what life used to be like before Jesus entered the scene. It's about celebrating and giving thanks for the fact that God chose to become flesh and dwell among us. And it's about reminding us that in many ways, we are still waiting. Jesus came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross. He was resurrected. He's currently seated at the right hand of the Father. But there are certain promises God made in the scripture through Jesus that have yet to be fulfilled. Namely this, through Christ, God not only promised us our personal salvation. How many thankful to be saved this morning? Amen. Thankful that God rescued you. He promises personal salvation if we would repent and follow Jesus, but he also promised that one of these days, he's going to return to our world and forever conquer Satan, sin, sickness, suffering, disease, and death, and he's going to set up his eternal kingdom here with a new earth and a new heavens in the future. Amen? And Advent means to come or to arrive. So in the Advent season, there's a dual purpose to it. On one hand, we're celebrating the first arrival, the first coming of Jesus, the first advent when he was born in a manger. But on the other hand, we're looking forward to with anticipation and expectation to the day when Christ will return in his second advent, in his second coming, and he won't come in a manger. The Bible says he's coming riding a white horse. Come on. When he will resurrect the dead, he will rapture the church. He'll forever cast Satan and his demons into the lake of fire and judge the righteous and the wicked and forever rule and reign with his people in a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no So in a sense, although we're celebrating 
his first arrival, we're still waiting on God for his second arrival. All of us, saved or unsaved, mature or immature, spiritual or carnal, all of us await the day when God will finally put an end to sin and suffering in this world. He'll set all things right. He'll wipe away every tear. We won't meet in the gravesides anymore or around hospital beds anymore. We'll meet around the throne and worship him forever. No more sadness, no more heartbreak or heartache. All of us are waiting on God to fulfill all the promises he's made to us in Christ Jesus. But the Bible says all of God's promises for yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So every promise you read in this book, you can count it as done. It's going to happen. Hallelujah. Now the Christmas holiday season, it's a time where we emphasize things like joy and generosity and peace and family and faith and all those are, those are great things to emphasize during the holidays. All of it's good, all of it's right, and it's what we should be doing. But if we're being honest this morning, the holidays also can bring out a lot of hurt and sadness, and loneliness. You know, not every Christmas for every person turns out like a Hallmark movie. The world that we live today, especially over the last two years, where there had been so much death and sickness and loss over the, you know, over the last 18 months or two years, the holidays can be hard, and they're going to be hard for some of us. For some of us, there might be an empty chair around the table at Christmas dinner this year. For some, there might be a son or a daughter that's serving overseas, unable to be with family. For some, you came in here this morning, you put on real good face, but you know that just because it's a holiday season, that rocky marriage or that rocky relationship with a family member is still tough to navigate, and it's even exasperated by the holidays. Or right now, you know, prices are going up and businesses may not have fully recovered in this economy, and for some, Christmas isn't celebratory, it's, uh, it's stressful when you check the bank balance every morning on your phone and the bills start piling up and credit card debt goes up, kids still expect presents. I want to preach to somebody today that you're doing all you can to make the holidays a joyful time for you and your family. You're doing all that you can to really stay focused on the real meaning of Christmas, but maybe silently or not so silently, you're hurting this morning. Amen. With a burden. And if that's you, I want you to know you're not alone and you're in good company. The scripture says, or the scripture we read this morning from Isaiah chapter 40, and Isaiah 40 was written when the people of Israel they were in a dark season of suffering and apparent hopelessness. The people of Israel, they know they're God's chosen people. They know God has good plans for them and for their future. They have seen God do great things in their past. Over and over again, the history of the people of Israel shows that God is on their side, that God fights for them, that God is the one who sustains them. But Isaiah's message in chapter 40, it comes to the people when they are once again suffering under the oppressive leadership of a wicked foreign empire. 
This time it's not Egypt and it's not Greece. It's not even Rome yet. It's not Assyria. This time for 150 years they find themselves exiled from their homeland in the Babylonian Empire. And when Babylon raided Israel, they carried off all of the people of Israel, all of their belongings, and they forcibly removed them from their homes and families. It was their own trail of tears. And the Babylonians, they took over the cities and villages of Israel, and they desecrated the temple of the one true God, and they forced the people into exile and even into slavery. And God began to give messages to the prophet Isaiah that the people could hold on to the that the people could hold on to in their time of grief and in their time of suffering while they waited for God to fulfill his promise to deliver him. Isaiah gave them messages of hope. And in the beginning of chapter 40 and then all the way through the rest of Isaiah, through the 66 chapters, God starts to give words of reassurance and hope to the people while they wait. Ultimately, we know that God would make good on his promise to redeem his people through the birth, life, and death and resurrection of Jesus. We know that that's the ultimate uh, promise that God's made. So the book of Isaiah is chock full of prophecies about the coming Messiah, about the coming Jesus, God in the flesh, who would come to rescue Israel's people. Isaiah is often called the Christmas prophet. Most of our Christmas carols that we sing in church, they come straight from the book of Isaiah. They come straight from the prophecies that Isaiah spoke about Jesus. But for reasons that only God knows and that we can't explain, even though God has good plans and good promises and, and to rescue and redeem, for some reason, there are still in everyone's life these seasons of waiting on God to do what we can't do on our own. So Isaiah 40 gives us some clues on what it means to wait on the Lord. The chapter starts out with these words, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord God. And I believe that someone needs to hear this word this morning. You can have comfort while you wait. God is good at bringing comfort to you. I want you to know this morning, if you're waiting on God, you're not waiting in vain. Right. Your season of waiting has an end date. There will be a day when you will stop waiting and you'll start seeing. Say that with me. My season of waiting has an end date. Say it. My season of waiting has an end date. There is an end to this chapter. There is an end to this season of your life. You are not in a hopeless situation. There is a new page that God wants to turn over in your life. Every season has a beginning and has an end. And no matter what season you find yourself in, if you know Christ as your Savior and as the leader of your life, you can trust God that He's going to either rescue you out of that season or He's going to help you walk through that season. But He will not leave you on your own. See, Deb, it's, it's all lining up, isn't it? People look for comfort in all sorts of places. They look for comfort in the arms of a man or a woman. They look for comfort in a beer can or in a liquor bottle. They look for comfort in a pill, a joint, a needle. They look for comfort in food. We can call them comfort foods, don't we? They look for comfort in sex. Look for comfort in popularity or getting the approval of other people. 
But if you've been there, you know. None of those things bring real and lasting comfort. They might offer cheap counterfeits, temporary counterfeits, but when your heart is troubled and when your soul is suffering, the only one who can comfort you is the one who created you. Verse 2, chapter 49 says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended. Come on, church. God is saying to you, the inner battle going on in your mind, the battle in your family, the battle in your business, the battle you're facing in your life, your battle has ended. Even before you see it end, he has already determined it has an end. And in the end, there is no other option but total victory if you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, if you know Christ and you're following him as the leader and master of your life, then you are following someone who has a 100% undefeated record. He has never lost a battle. He has never forfeited a fight. He has never even had a draw. When it comes to God, the only acceptable outcome in every situation is total, absolute, and complete victory. So be comforted because God has spoken words to you this morning to comfort you that your battle is coming to an end. Verse 3, chapter 40. He says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places be made smooth. Those words, they're quoted in the Christmas story when you read about John the Baptist, who would be the last prophet who would introduce Jesus onto the scene. And John claimed, he said, the prophet Isaiah spoke about a voice crying out in the wilderness. And John said, I'm out in the wilderness and I'm crying out, get ready because the kingdom of God is coming. And in the original context, when God is offering words of comfort to a people who are in bondage, who are in exile and in slavery, he's saying to them, and I believe he's saying to us today, don't just be comforted, be prepared. Don't just be comforted, be prepared. Get yourself ready for the day when God's going to show up and give you the victory. See, when Moses was about to lead the people out of Egypt, you remember we preached on Exodus earlier this year, and they're about to lead the tenth plague of the death angel coming over and, and taking the life of every firstborn of, of Egypt. When he's about to come, God says, take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost to protect your house. When the death angel sees the blood, he'll pass over you, right? And he says, and then eat the lamb. Have a feast that night. But he tells them, while you're eating, keep your shoes on and keep your staff in hand because tonight you're getting out of here. You need to be prepared for your deliverance. You need to be prepared for the moment when God says, come on, it's time to get out of here. I'm getting you out of this place. He, he says, get ready for immediate departure. Get ready for immediate departure. Be prepared. I'm about to show up. Be prepared. Be comforted. I'm about to show out. Be ready at a moment's notice for God to show up in your life because I'm saying to you this morning, if you came in here with a battle, God is getting ready to act on your behalf and be prepared to obey Him and follow Him out immediately. Amen. Let me put it this way. Your lack of preparation is an indicator of your lack of faith. 
But the reverse is true as well. Your diligent preparation is an expression of your determined faith. You want to show God you trust Him? Start preparing for Him to answer before you see that answer. What's that? Let's take that. Let's let's make that simple. Let's make that real life for a second. You're praying for a loved one to come home and, and turn their life back to the Lord. Set a place at the table. You haven't heard from them. Set a place at the table. I'm just believing. God, I'm prepared. They show up. I got something to feed them with. I'm a loved one. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Make a claim of faith. Take some action. Say, I'm prepared for my miracle. I'm prepared for God to do what only God can do in your life. You've been waiting on God to bring you a husband. Let me ask you. Have you prepared yourself to be a good wife? Hello. You've been waiting on God to bless your business, but let me ask you, have you put the work and preparation it, it takes to make your business a success? You've been waiting on God to give you a promise or, or a word about a specific situation, but have you prepared yourself by getting in His Word so you can hear from Him? You've been waiting on God to open up a ministry opportunity for you, but have you prepared yourself by making sure you're right with the Lord and you're living an example worthy of leadership in the ministry? When you get on an airplane and you scan your ticket, and you, at the gate, you go to sit down, you find your seat, and everybody puts their luggage up in the rack. But before the plane pushes back from the gate, if you'll listen, a voice will come over the speaker, and it'll be the pilot, and he'll be telling the crew, the flight attendants, he'll tell them, prepare for departure. And what do they do? They're going to walk down the aisle, and they're going to make sure your tray table is set up, that your seat back is set up, that everything is tucked under the seat, or all the lids, or all the doors to the carriage, uh, the storage above you are, are up there. They're going to make sure that they're prepared to leave. You've got to prepare for departure. That plane is not going anywhere until certain things have been taken care of to ensure a safe departure. The flight attendant, they're going to check to make sure everything's safe. And no one's going anywhere until the hindrances to a safe departure are taken care of. So when he says in the scripture, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight a path, every hill be brought low, every valley be lifted up, right places made smooth. He's saying before your season of waiting is over and before your, you can depart to your next destination, God is going to remove any hindrances or obstacles that might thwart his plan or purposes for your life. Sometimes, I would just suggest this, you might still be waiting because you haven't been willing to let God remove some of the hindrances. Not every time. I'm not saying that it's always your Sometimes you just wait. I don't know why. Talk about that last week. Can't explain it. But sometimes... We haven't been willing to let God rough out, smooth, smooth out the rough places in our life. And so we can't move forward in our destiny and purpose and plan and calling God has for us because we won't allow Him to deal with the obstacles and the hindrances going on in our lives. A few of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's some things that God's been telling me, hey, I want to smooth this out. I want to deal with this. I want to, I want to talk about this during your marriage. I want to deal with this issue. In, in your finances. I want to deal with this issue in your personal life. And God has big plans for your future. He wants to take you places, but He's not going to take you there until you deal with what's here. Say why. Your season of waiting, can I tell you, is sometimes a good thing. 
Because God can see down the road a pothole you can't see. He can see down the road a sinkhole you can't know is there. He can see a mountain that he's got to remove before you can go any further. So while you're waiting, you're preparing for God, and God is preparing a way for you. So then you can prepare for departure. Be confident. God is just preparing you for the next God is just preparing you for the plans and purposes he has in your future. Watch this. We've gone through the first few verses here. Verse 1, be comforted. Verse 2, the battle has an end day. Verse 3, prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 4, every valley lifted up, every mountain made low. He's removing obstacles and hindrances to his plans and purposes for your life. Because, watch this, verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God says, be comforted, be prepared, because I'm about to show off my glory. I'm about to show off my power, my ability, my majesty, my glory in your life. And when my glory shows up, everyone around you is going to know it. All your haters and your doubters are going to be astounded. Your naysayers are going to be confounded because God has already spoken for you and over you. This battle has an end date. The thing they said you can never get out of, I'm about to bring you out of it. The thing they said you could never overcome, I'm about to bring you over it. The thing they said you would never be rid of, I'm about to remove it out of your life. I'm going to bring my glory into your life, and everyone around you is going to see that God has fought a battle for you and has given you the victory. You're about to see my glory like you have never seen it before. When Jesus, the Son of God, was born on Christmas Day, John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 14, he said, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then the Apostle Paul would write in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let me break it down for you. God says, I'm going to reveal my glory among my people and in your life. So God became a man. He took on a skin suit. He became flesh, 100% God and 100% man. And he dwelt among us. Jesus is God. Jesus is the express image of divinity. He is the image and example imprint of who God is. So John says, when you see Jesus, you've seen the glory of God in a human being. And then Paul says, when we see Jesus, when we behold Jesus, when we follow Jesus, when we make him Lord of our life, he will take us from one degree of glory to another. We will see increased levels of God's glory in our life if we will just follow him and wait on him and watch what he has to do in our life. What am I saying to you? I'm saying while you're waiting on God, if you will follow Jesus, if you'll experience Jesus, if you'll walk with Jesus, no matter what life brings against you, you can't go under for going over. Because the road following Jesus always takes you from one level of glory to another. There's only one direction to go, and that's up. So Isaiah 40, 
It's all about being comforted. It's all about being prepared. Your season of waiting is coming to an end. God is about to act. And ultimately, all of those promises are fulfilled when Jesus is born and then he leads, leads us, lives a sinful life and then he dies an innocent death on the cross and is resurrected. But the end of chapter 40, that's what I really want to get to this morning. That's the end. Oh, that was intro. The end is where I wanted to get to. The last few verses of this chapter Give us three directives during our season of waiting. Verse 28, have you not known and have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's saying you might be tired of waiting, but your God is not tired. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He he, uh, increases strength. God knows that all of us, while we wait, can grow weary. Our faith can grow weak. If you don't admit that, you're lying this morning. Our bodies can get tired. Our will and our determination, they can only take us so far in life. That's why we need it. Amen. He gives us strength while we wait. Strength while we wait. He, we get tired. He never gets tired. He never faints. He never grows weary. His patience is never exhausted. Some of you say, no, I know he's been patient with me. <laughs> His long suffering has no end. And the promise is, when you're weak, he'll give you strength. When you've got no strength left in you, he can and will endue you with supernatural strength to keep going. When you're walking with the Lord, being tired and weak is allowed. I want to let you know, it's allowed for you to every now and then get tired and weak. But giving up is never an option. We all know there are times where you'll feel doubtful, where you get tired of praying and tired of believing and and weary of trusting and waiting. We all know that and most of us have experienced it, but none of that is ever an excuse to give up because he has promised, when you feel weak, I'll give you strength. The Holy Spirit told the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, it's okay if you're weak in your body and weak in your spirit because watch this, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So if you came here this morning feeling tired and weak in your body or in your mind or in your spirit or in your faith, if you're tired and weak in your prayer life or tired and weak even in your walk with the Lord, i got good news for you. You're a perfect candidate for His grace this morning. You're a perfect candidate for Him to endue you with power this morning. Now let me tell you, how do you tap into this spiritual strength? Look at verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now when the Lord gave me in prayer this concept for this series of uh, of waiting on God for Christmas, it's not a typical Christmas series by any means, but this is the first scripture the Lord gave me when he said, I want you to preach on waiting on God. And I thought my mind went immediately to Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord. It's the first scripture he gave me. And this isn't a normal message about Joseph and Mary and the donkeys and the camels. I know that. We'll get to that soon, maybe. 
But I believe the word I'm preaching this morning is the word our church and our community needs in this season. Because a lot of us are waiting. We've seen miracles even here in the last few months. But there's some miracles we're still waiting on. Amen? Amen. And so I believe this is a word for us today. So I've been chewing on this verse for a while, several weeks now. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And I, I believe I believe the Holy Ghost spoke to me about this verse. And I believe it's what he said. The key to renewed strength is in learning the art of properly waiting. The key to renewed strength is in learning the art of properly waiting. Learn how to be good at waiting. Now, in our English language, that word waiting is used mainly in two ways. You go look up in the Webster Dictionary to find the word waiting, the wait. The first definition you're going to get is staying stationary in readiness and anticipation. Or expectation. That's the battle preach right there. That's where God says, you know, the Old Testament stands still. You don't have to fight the battle as mine. Victory, God's going to give you. You're just waiting. I'm just waiting, standing still. The battle's not mine. The battle is the Lord's. I am waiting with readiness and expectation for the victory. That's a great word right there. You can tell my table picture of that. Write it down. You need it. But guess what the second definition of the word waiting is? Serving. Serving. Key to renewed strength is in learning the art of properly waiting. When I was in college, I served at a restaurant. I was a server, also known as a waiter. I had to learn how to be a good waiter to take care of the one I was serving, to make sure they got everything they needed and everything they desired. I looked at this verse, they that wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. And I looked up in a few commentaries, this verse kind of gives an expert opinion on what does this verse really mean. And here's what one commentary said. To wait on the Lord means to trust Him completely with our lives and serve Him faithfully. I have always read this verse with the first definition in mind. I'm going to wait and expect God to act on my behalf. Because God's a good God. He has good plans for me. Perfectly legitimate way to read that verse. Great way to read it. I had never read that verse and thought, those who wait on the Lord, those who serve the Lord, those who, who give the Lord what He desires, those who serve Him faithfully, they shall renew their strength. Think about that for a second. What if we've just been waiting with expectation, but we've missed the second half of what it means to wait, and we haven't been serving while we wait, and so we're still on the ground while other people are up on wings like eagles, and they're soaring. The key to renewed strength is learning the art properly waiting. So if you're waiting on God to act, waiters are servers and servers are waiters. If you want to stay strong and renewed and refreshed in your faith, find a way to serve while you wait. This is what this means. Waiting is no longer passive. Waiting is active. 
Waiting is not sitting around wondering when something's ever going to happen. Waiting is all about finding a way to serve God and fulfill His purposes while you're still expecting Him to answer your prayers. So I want to read it like this. Those who wait on the Lord, those who serve the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this is what I want to say. You won't get supernatural strength to soar until you learn how to serve. If you're weak in your body, you're weak in your faith, weak in your prayer life, weak in your walk with God this morning, I want to ask you a sobering question. Could it be that you've grown weak because you've stopped serving? Now, a lot of pastors at this point would tell you, well, there's a sign-up sheet out back for something I need you to do. And they would just tee it up so that we could get a lot of sign-ups for somebody to serve us in here. I will say this. If this is your church home, this is where you get fed, this is where you attend, this is where you expect the pastor to come visit you when you're in the hospital, pray for you when you're sick, do all the things for you, expect the church family to bring you food when you're suffering, all that kind of stuff. If this is your church home and you're not serving, you are a user. You're taking more than you're giving, and you will eventually dry up and get weak. I don't have a sign-up sheet. Just think about that. If you haven't found a way to regularly serve the kingdom of God for your local church, if you want to grow spiritually, you want to grow stronger in your faith, you need to find a way. You say, well, that's me, Pastor. Come see me after church. I'll find if it's just like Sweeping the floor. I'll find some way for you to serve God. Not me. I don't need you to serve me. I need you to serve the king. Amen? Is it possible that you've grown weak because you've stopped serving? Now, the other side of that is not just serving ministry in your local church. Have you stopped serving in your daily life? Are you fully serving God to the utmost of your capacity to serve the Lord? What do you mean, Pastor? Are you serving God as a mother in your home? Or as a father in your home? Is your role as a husband or as a wife, are you fully serving God in those roles? When is the last time you just spent some time with the Lord and opened your Bible and spent time with Him? If, if I was to poll your co-workers, and ask them a few key questions, would I be able to tell that you're a Christian just by your coworkers' view and their opinion? See, God gives strength to the ones that serve Him. He gives strength to the ones that have spent and are being spent for His service and in His kingdom. When you serve Him, you go up under His umbrella of protection. And he induce you with power. It's like, um, remember the Old Testament story with the prophet Elisha, where the woman had run out of oil. And he told her, he said, go and get as many jars as you can, as many bottles as you can, borrow from people. And he said, you pour your little bit of oil 
into all those jars, and God supernaturally multiplied, so the little bit of oil in one jar multiplied and filled every other jar. And the man of God told the woman, when you fill up your jars, the well will stop flowing. And sure enough, when she got to the last jar that she borrowed, the oil stopped flowing and multiplied. If all you do is fill yourself up, but never empty yourself out, eventually the supply will stop flowing. But if you're serving, if you're constantly pouring what God has given you out onto other people and out into your local church and out into your family and out into your community, the more you pour out, the more he'll pour. And the source will never run dry. If you're weak this morning, I want to ask you, I know some of you, you are great at waiting on God with readiness and expectation, believing God's going to answer you. But the second half of that is, what are you doing to serve God while you wait? Are you fully serving Him to full capacity? Because if you are, you ought to be emptying yourself out and letting Him fill you back up. There's something about it. When you make room to serve God in your life, He makes room in your life to pour out supernatural strength, giftings, and abilities. If I can for a moment, um, I'll sit in my notes here. I think a great testimony of this is Joey, you learning music. Joey, three years ago, two years ago, with, with your different medical issues, using your hands was an impossibility. And even now, times when you're not leading in worship, those hands might not work the way they're supposed to work. But there's something about when you committed to serve the Lord and step out of your comfort zone, and we all know you were all family, and so it was out of your comfort zone a little bit. God supernaturally gave you relief of pain, the ability to be in here and, and lead and get out of your comfort zone and be bold and, and step up. You chose to serve Him. He gave you the strength you needed. He gave you the giftings and the abilities you needed. Amen. Joey's not the first person I've ever seen something like that happen. If you had met me 10 or 15 years ago, I was as quiet as a church mouse. You would never hear me shout. You would never have seen me get in front of people and preach and lead and that kind of thing. But the Lord, when you step out and obey Him, He just gives you what you need. Yeah. How many of you just say, I've seen that happen in my life? Yeah. So you don't believe me, you don't believe Joey. Look at all these things right here. Have you found a way to step out in what God's calling you to do? And you find out that when you're serving Him to your full capacity, not your full, His full capacity, but He's going to pour into you, the waiting gets a little bit easier, doesn't it? The waiting is a little bit easier when you know God is using me while I wait. God's doing something in my life while I do. If we wait on God, if we serve the Lord, He promises that His strength will refresh and revive us, and His grace will enable us to mount on wings like eagles and rise above the difficulties of this life. And I like how it fits the order. He starts out, if you wait on the Lord, He'll renew your strength. He starts out talking about flying, and then He says, You'll run and not grow weary. And then He says, You'll walk and not faint. Now, if you're a poet, 
And if you're trying to build up emphasis, you start slow and then you get to fun. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to reverse it. And I believe that the point here is, sometimes you're flying, that's great. Sometimes you're running for the Lord, and that's great. But sometimes you're just flying along for the Lord, and you're just taking it one step at a time and doing what you can. What you can. He says, if you do that, you'll never faint. You'll never fall. You'll never get tired. There are seasons where you're running, you're soaring for the Lord, and God's just, I mean, it's just like going and blowing in your life. That's awesome. There are seasons where all you can do is run, and that's awesome. But real faithfulness is when you're not flying, you're not running, nobody's cheering for you, nobody's looking at you, and nobody's nobody's happy for you, nobody's happy for you, but you still choose to take one step at a time, daily walking for the Lord, and you say, that's where real faithfulness is. And you're just doing the thing. You're just doing it. He says, I'll give you strength even then too. And then before long, you'll be in another season of soaring. You'll be in another season of running. And then for a while, you'll walk again. Stop. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray over my church family this morning. Lord, I was telling someone this week, I was telling someone this week how much I love my church family. God, you know, this is the first church I've pastored. But Lord, I have, I have fallen in love with this church family. I have fallen in love with the community we're in. And Lord, my pastor's heart today for, for my people is that some of them are waiting. They're waiting to see healing. They're waiting to see miracles. They're waiting to see provision. They're waiting to see a a son or a daughter give their life back to the Lord. They're waiting to see their marriage restored and strengthened. Lord, as their pastor, sometimes I get tired of seeing them wait because I just want to, I want to see them get everything, God, that I believe you have for them. But Lord, I believe this, this morning and, and this week as I've studied this, you've revealed to me a few things. Lord, you've said, number one, I'm preparing people for the miracle I'm about to do. I'm smoothing out rough areas and I'm filling some potholes that need to be filled and I'm removing some mountains that need to be removed before they can move forward. And so, Lord, today we claim in faith that just because we're waiting doesn't mean there isn't a future. Lord, I pray today over over my church family that as they wait, Lord, they be comforted and prepared for what you're about to do in their life. Lord, I'm thankful for a church family that knows how to serve. Lord, if there's anyone in the room that says, I don't know where I fit in my church, and I don't know where I'm supposed to serve, God, would you just organize and arrange things so that we find a place for every person to belong and to function in the calling and purpose that you've given them in life. Lord, my prayer today is that while we wait, we serve, so that if we wait and if we serve, we can soar, we can run, we can walk, and not get weary or faint. The devil never take us back and you never stop us because we've been empowered supernaturally with your strength 
with your refreshing presence, with your reviving love. That's my prayer today. In Jesus' name.